I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the April 3rd edition of the Signals from Mars uh, live stream brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast. Um, We are joined right now by our special guest, Keefe. There you are, sir. How are you? Hey, hey. Check, check, check. It's me. (laughs) just want to send a shout out there to everyone joining us in the chat at the moment um we have the diehards chiming in we have jeremy weltman up there in the uk good evening we are picking up singles signals loud and clear here in the uk awesome uh singles i don't know if i had you know, advanced copies of albums uh, on my mind or strip bar. I don't know. Anyway, um, happy Easter weekend to everyone. Yes, Rob from the Rock and Row podcast. Welcome, sir. And Jose up in Connecticut. Hello, sir. Hope you are doing well. Um, Keefe, how are you, sir? Dude, dude, how the hell hell are you? I am doing great. Um, Similar to some of the other guests that I've had over these last few weeks um we've talked off and on you know over the years we've talked through social media or email and whatnot but i don't think we've ever spoken you know face to face or or we may not have actually even spoken like over the phone or anything so this is a uh a treat for me I, it's, it's a treat it's for me also, also. Um, um the echo is echo not too bad, bad. i'm bad. echo echo oh you are okay i'm hearing you really low Oh really? Okay, okay. lower okay. myself. Maybe I have earphones on, so that may be it. But I'm good. Here we go. Okay. Uh, I feel like there was one phone call once when you were in America, like ten years ago. Okay. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, we've never had a chance to meet, which is crazy because I have been a fan of yours as long as I've been aware of you, and we worked together briefly. Yeah. Uh, at Metal Army America, rest in peace. Yeah. And pieces. <laughs> uh, back in the old uh, Century Media family days, when you could actually make money doing music journalism. Not a lot of money, but yeah, you know, something. if you were a workaholic going to grad school and you had nothing else going on in your life except music and school, you could make some money. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, it's I'm super proud of everything you do. I followed you every step of your career. I, I like you personally. It's rare that I can actually like somebody personally respect them, love what they do, be objective about it. It's rare. I don't follow a lot of other people in the business closely because I don't want to taint my own work, but uh, just as a matter of course, I support everything you do. Well, I I definitely appreciate that. And um, there are a bunch of things that I do want to talk to you about while I have you on here, different things that I follow that you do that I think is really outside of the box. And, um, you know, I, th- I think it's interesting that um, there are so many things that you leverage um, that I think a lot of people 
you know, uh, and, and I'm thinking back to a recent interview I did with, with Witherfall. Like I talked to them and I said, well, why did you guys release like five singles before the album was released? Because historically when that happened, the rest of the album sucked, but their album I think is like, is one of the strongest things, at least in for, for my money that's come out this year. And, um, they told me, they said, you know, well, we took into consideration what the current marketing trends are. And this is what pop bands are doing. These are what other people are doing. And this is why we're trying to apply it to what we do to try to be more successful. And I've seen you do that over the years with, with ghost cult. You know, I, I follow you on TikTok, um, for example. And it's funny because so many people have shied away from TikTok right away. You know, you bring that up and it's like, Oh no, no, that's, that's for kids or that's for this or that's for that. And it's like, well, I don't know of any musician that will, that especially today, um, you know, last week we had Joe Gostin on, he talked about how Rob Zombie got a number one album through selling 12,000 copies of, of a, of an album. I don't know that any musician should be turning any type of publicity down or any or money from any, uh, you know, age group. I agree. Uh, yeah, I'm so I'm, you know, I don't pay, put a lot of stock into um, charts and awards mm-hmm. because I feel like, especially in rock and metal, we don't need it. I'm not like hanging all my hopes on the rock and roll hall of fame ever. Right. When they get <laughs> it right. Cool. First yeah. of all, it's a private club. Uh, I have no problem. They have never been exclusively rock, even though they're called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I don't get my nose bent out of joint if Whitney Houston gets in or Biggie gets in. They have always honored all of music. They just call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because that's Rolling Stone who founded it. Young Brother founded it. It's their roots. And ultimately, you know, all these things, at the end of the day, it's all music. Mm-hmm. It's their Hall of Fame. There is a heavy metal Hall of Fame. If you really need a Hall of Fame and you need that yeah. self-congratulatory pat on the back, most people who get in seems to be a big, cool thing. Obviously, NAM has been canceled. These events yeah. have been canceled because of the, the crisis the last year. But, um, you know, good for Rob Zombie. If 12,000 Units gets a number one album, <laughs> and that 12,000 Units is parsed up between probably, I'm guessing, two to 3,000 pre-sale bundles, no ticket sales for a change. If you had ticket sales, it might be more because those albums are now getting bundled into ticket sales, which I have no problem with. A lot of artists have done it. Prince did it. Metallica does it. No, no, I have no problems with it. Um, Make sell that record any way you can and get it into as many hands and ears as possible. This Mm -hmm. is a new reality. And um, in terms of number one on billboard, it's still a very prestigious thing. And Rob Zombie has never been part of a number one album. I think at the height of White Zombie, maybe he had a top 10 album mm-hmm. once. And, it, right. and we're barely in the top 10 because we're talking about the 90s when physical albums still sold. And those guys were counting Columbia House, One Penny Albums, and yeah. you know all kinds of backdoor punch-out albums and yeah. um, you know things that were given away, pay-for-play, radio, promo copies, um, you know, in the era before digital, the era before streaming and Napster. So anybody that is, you know, able to leverage anything Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of. And then, you know, thank you very much for your compliments as as much as I love talking about Ghost Cult and Ghost Cult Nick and all the things we've been doing. 
And I have worked harder than ever at this stuff since the, the last year. Uh, right. and it's not to say that I have not been working my ass off in the seven years prior. Ghost Cult is in existence eight and a half years. I've been part of it for seven and a half years, and I've been the owner for eight straight. And mm-hmm. um, it just ha- fell into my lap. It wasn't intentional. I didn't actually want to own my own site. I didn't start my own site from scratch because I didn't right. want to own one. And then I ended up taking over this one. So these things happen. And then of course I can't talk about my music without music marketing because I'm a social media professional. So I feel like I have a leg up in terms of marketing of ghost cult in terms of, you know, I work with bands and labels on music marketing. I do a little bit of PR, not fully immersed mm-hmm. in it, but I've done some, I do kind of continuous DIY underground PR. I teach music marketing. We just wrapped up a seminar with myself, a bunch of publicists and music artists who are all really great at social media and marketing. And we did a 13 day challenge, like basically pay what you want free or very little money um, to teach how to launch a PR campaign. I think we're about to do a new one uh, on social media soon, just straight up how to run your social media as a band. Mm -hmm. So I would say this, like, I don't have enough time to make constant videos on TikTok because like you, I have other things to do. Videos, interviews, podcasts, reviews, run my site, run my life, work my actual client work that keeps a roof over my head, all these things so I can buy vinyls and pop fun codes and uh, flags and things uh, and metal shirts. The Bandcamp Friday is today. I definitely already uh, invested in heavily into DIY bands that I dig and trying to support people doing cool and interesting things. So, um, yeah, I, I, if I had time to leverage TikTok and make like 10 TikToks a day, I would. I see a lot of people doing cool, innovative stuff. I do a few a week. I'm trying to make evergreen content across video and repurpose it here and there. So I wouldn't say that I'm uh, necessarily a wizard at TikTok. I understand right. TikTok. If I had the time and nothing else to do, it's the same thing. Like I discovered YouTube late. I've, we've had a YouTube channel for seven years. We've really only worked it the last two years. And the mm-hmm. last year, we went from having like 50 videos on the channel lifetime in the prior like six or seven years to doing like 200 videos in the last 12 months. Oh, wow. so, and now we're doing three at least a week. This last couple of weeks, we've been doing five. I just did my first review ever on camera, which I have never done. And it was weird right. and awkward. And I was like, oh, I don't know if this is going to translate. I'm, I fancy myself as a good writer. And, and uh, you know, I studied music critique. I was in bands for 20 years. So music mm-hmm. is my life. And um, I do have a funny anecdote to share with you later if you're interested. But you know, it's like, I was like, I don't know if I'm any good at this. Like, I did a couple of reviews on camera. One's going to run soon, and, you know, another one is another one to run soon. And I was like, maybe just something else to try. I see the success of other people. And I'm like, well, why not us? I'm trying to do as much different and compelling content as possible to keep people interested. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so important. And I think, um, you know, I think especially during the, the pandemic, I think that, if you're a band or you're involved in entertainment in any, you know, shape or form, you need to try to make an effort to a few days a week, keep something going, whether it's, you know, just like a, a little blurb on Twitter or it's, you know, Hey, remember when we did this or, you know, just something to keep your name out there. It, it's kind of to me, and I'm not into, you know, social media marketing isn't my job. But when I see that bands uh, don't take the time 
to just do a few things, you know, just to keep their name out there or that they're saying, oh, you know, because we can't play shows, we really can't do anything. But no, that's not true, you know, because at the at the end of the day, I, I realize that there's been a whole paradigm shift and a lot of bands are, are depending on day jobs to kind of keep afloat. But, you know, you're still you're still trying to sell that band to people. You know, it, it. I don't know. It's just frustrating to me that there I think that there have been a lot of bands that have just become ostriches and put their heads in the sand basically during this time where they could have used their, their time better. I'm, I'm not saying they have to go out and write double albums, you know, because obviously, um, you know, creativity strikes when it strikes, but I think that there are other ways with the way technology works that you can engage your crowd without really having to do a whole heck of a lot outside of being consistent. Absolutely. And, you know, first of all, I've been very in the forefront of my mind in every interview I do. I ask people, how are you doing? Because like before I want to talk about your album concept and how you write a song and what your how how did you collaborate with the artist? Like people have lost jobs. They lost swaths of their whole income. People have lost loved ones. People are still going through shit. People had the virus and are still dealing with the after effects of having it. Um, a lot of musicians for a long time made money, not from making records, not from selling records, from touring and selling merch. And if you couldn't hand that vinyl, that shirt, that patch, that koozie to someone at a club, you could not make back the money it costs you to pro- you know, produce these things. So anyone who hasn't put out anything in this time... It's not a mark on them. Like, legitimately, people have lost a lot. And if you feel like, listen, like yeah. Anthrax, I'm waiting. I love Anthrax, one of my favorite bands ever. I'm waiting for them to put out a new record. The last one was in 2016. They're writing a new one now. And they basically said, Scott Ian said recently, if we can't tour, I don't know how we can release a month, the album and make a month. Mm-hmm. They already haven't even really done a headline show in America in years. years they were yeah. opening for other bands. They were co-headlining. They haven't headlined their own tour. And they really have been doing, other than a few new songs, the greatest hits for over 15 years. Right. So that's what people want from them. I'm not going to besmirch that. Give the people <laughs> what they want. Uh, right. You could say the same thing about a lot of bands. That, you know, I mean, uh, Jamie Jost is famous for saying, I don't sell music. I sell shirts and tickets to shows. And Kate and I make no I make new music so I can go on tour. Smart. Very smart yeah. take on that. I give him a lot of respect and credit for taking literally a hardcore band from a small town in Connecticut and turning it into a 26-year internationally known famous band. So props to them. And they put out a record at the very start of this thing. And there I interviewed their drummer Matt, and he was like, I don't know what it looks like for us when this when we will come back. We do what we do. I assume we'll go right back to doing shows and festivals as soon as it's safe. But I don't know what it looks like for us to have a year where we don't tour. We've never had that. I've never been home. He's like, I'm home? It's weird. Um, <laughs> so he also started doing inventive things. on you know, Matt Burn, check him out on YouTube. He does drum playthroughs, doing covers. Uh, when Eddie Van Halen died, he did a huge Van Halen medley in his basement. It was killer. Um, cool. It's killer to see him do something that's not hate breed. Actually, that he knows how to play drums be well beyond what he's known for. So, yeah. you know, it's a cha- this is a challenge for all of us. And I'm going to say, just like it is for bands, it's the same thing for us, for content producers, for bloggers, yeah. for vloggers, for music website owners. 
But for us, we and so this is a labor of love. Most of us are not making any money doing this. We do this because we love the music. We want to promote the music. We want to share the music. There's very it's a very small stream of income, even for the ones who do make money. For yeah. the websites and the magazines, or maybe there are websites out there because they were a magazine, but this huge cachet of clout and, um, you know, rep, basically, they have a reputation, you know, Kerrang, whatever you think about Kerrang, they've been around forever, and their website yeah. is huge because they had a magazine, it was around forever, yeah. Metal Hammer. Even at the other level, our brethren, you want to say Metal Sucks, Injection, Metal Underground, Brave Words. You know uh, the big ones, right? Loudwire, the big big sites. They all have some kind yeah. of big. They have some kind of income stream. They have corporate backing. They can pay a staff. They can mm -hmm. produce things like a team, like a magazine or a newspaper used to do. And a lot of people now, luckily, Ghost Call. I have a staff of people that still volunteers. We're we're on a path to finally making money. I finally monetized my YouTube after <laughs> years. But I'm not. It's not a windfall. It's like 150 yeah. bucks so far. So and that's like I just had a huge uh, my. Uh, Alex Webster video interview is blowing up. Uh, mm -hmm. Essentially, it's like audio with a slideshow because he didn't want to do camera. And um, but it's huge, you know, big gangbusters for me. Like not a lot, not like hundreds of thousands, like five thousand, yeah. six thousand. For me, that's a lot of views. Right. And I think we made like twenty eight dollars as a result of five, six thousand video views in a week. So I'm not gonna, you know, that twenty eight bucks will go into something else. But nobody's uh -huh. making billions of dollars here. So we're all resource constrained. Time is a resource you can't make more of. So just do the best you can. And it's the same thing. Bands, you can't do nothing. Maybe you can't put a record out. Maybe you can't do a live stream because the technology or the money is not there for you. But you can be engaging. You can do stuff with your fans. You can communicate. You can hang with them. You can do cool things and not totally abandon yourself. And it's the same thing for us. I feel like when we come back from this, a lot of people who do websites, a lot of people who've done interviews and blogs, a lot of concert photographers are not coming back. Because there's not going right. to be there's not going to be a guest list probably anymore at a certain mm -hmm. level, you know there there's a, in an underground club in San Francisco or Brooklyn or Portland Oregon or Boston I probably could still get in free on a DIY band or a twenty bucks spin Southern Lord label band they'll put me mm -hmm. on the list I could probably walk in without a ticket and take photos and do interviews and do what I do but the bigger yeah. level of bands I remember very distinctly. Um, Overkill toured with Death Angel a couple of years ago when they both had brand new albums out. And in New York, we had like the added bonus of Life of Agony in the middle. So it was okay. a, tre a tremendous bill. Oh, wow. The guest list for that venue was fucked. And I apologize for cursing, but this literally was screwed. There was right. like 25 photographers. They were trying to like get everybody on different lists. It was a Live Nation venue that is no longer in existence in Times Square, New York. Uh, PlayStation Theater is now closed. Or Best Buy Theater, PlayStation Theater, whatever moniker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a nightmare. And it was a nightmare. And I was like, in my mind now, that guest list probably just for that one show was probably thousands of dollars of tickets because the venue right. is not going to just let the press in free. A ticket has to be purchased by the label or management or someone. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to exist anymore. And there's a lot of us who don't make money. And the ticket or the free music is the reward to doing right. this work. Or is the you know the is what we accept as payment? You can't eat credit. You can't eat respect. But I can I get the music early. I can write a review. I have you know it's I enjoy it sooner. I can share that enjoyment out there or not. Disenjoyment if you don't like it. I can go right. to the show. I can meet the band. I can interview the band. Maybe I'm a photographer. So those are privileges. They're not rights, and they're not going to be here anymore. And I wonder mm -hmm. what the landscape is going to look like for guys like you and me in a couple of years. Yeah, that that's an interesting point because. 
I mean, on the one hand, I think that it'll it'll probably be two, three years till things come completely back around to a semblance of what it was. And, and like you said, you know, by that time, the rules will be different for us. And it's going to be hard for, you know, a label to say, well, we're going to have 150, 200 comp tickets and, and the venue is going to say, yeah, well, we need to sell, you know, 80% of that. So, I mean, that, that's a great point where everything is, is going to be different. And, you know, getting back to your, your point, the, the bigger corporate funded sites are, are going to have that, you know, golden ticket to get in over, over the small independent guys like us. Um, I mean, it, it, but I mean, let's, let's be honest, <sighs> money begets money. So it, it's, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I think that has kind of, and, and I, I say this a lot often because I think in my mind for the longest time, you know, I was trying to reach for that brass ring and, and think, you know, Hey, well, why am I not gaining to the proportions of this person or that person or that, you know, that site or whatever. And I think at this, I think in 2021, I finally said, you know what, I'm comfortable in my skin. So I try to like, play within the rules or within the boundaries that I'm, I'm allotted. Like, um, uh, recently I've been turned down for a few different things, which kind of, you know, it's disheartening and disappointing. Um, but where maybe before, as you said, you know, got other things going on in our life, I would be like, well, you know what? Screw it. Life is more important. I love podcasting, but it's like on the side. Um, I think my philosophy has changed a lot so that I can pivot and say, Hey, you know what? If I'm not speaking to this person, I'll find someone else to have an interesting conversation with. And like tonight, that was one of my, one of my things. I have like a list in my mind of all these people that I want to catch up with and talk to. And really, you know, I, I see this as, as a brotherhood, you know, as, you know, having respect for what you do. And if people don't know, about you don't know about ghost cult and they follow me. I want to make sure that they do know about you. You know, it's one of those things where if something is, you know, if something speaks to you or something, you know, or or you respect that person, like we were talking about before, I think would be foolish just to be like, you know, let your ego getting the way. I think over the years we've seen, that maybe some sites haven't been as friendly with others. Um, I mean, I, I've sort of sidestepped from that. I know when I tried to do a news based site, I was kind of met with resistance and, you know, when I had to hang it up, I was like, okay, well, you know, just not for me. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, do you feel that things have changed over the years with, you know, sites playing nice with each other? Yes and no. Um, interesting fact, Ghost Cult was just recently welcomed into the Blastbeat network of okay. websites. So for those that don't cool. know what Blastbeat is, some people do, some don't. Um, it's um, it's a, let's say it's a private, I guess, yeah, it's a private cabal of websites working together. Cabal makes it sound sinister, but it's not sinister. <laughs> I know some people think it's sinister. 
Uh, it is co-owned by the heads of Metal Sucks and Metal Injection, who both right. happen to be super savvy marketers and experts mm-hmm. in the music business, not just at music news. Right. Um, they are. They originally started it. It's a. Uh, it's basically programmatic advertising. You see this everywhere you go in your daily life, on your phone, on your laptop, on your smart devices. When you sometimes think like you're having a conversation, hey, I really need a new can opener, and then two minutes later you get an email, <laughs> an email with an ad in your Gmail or Yahoo or whatever. Outlet. Right. That is an ad for can openers. It's creepy. Mm-hmm. We're being listened to. We're being monitored. In a yeah. perfect world. You would be served ads you want. That's one of my uh, passions about marketing is to get, you know, if you see an ad for something you don't want, mm. you know, I'm not going to want that. But if I get served a bunch of ads of things I want all the time, that's, that's right. a synergy. I know it seems creepy and invasive, but really it'll be more <laughs> seamless in the future and less creepy. Right. So in this sense, these guys got together and created an advertising network for bands, metal websites, metal people fans mm-hmm. to all be communicate with each other to serve ads to people who want them. Um, right. For a long time, it was a very private club. Only a handful of sites were part of it. Uh, off the top of my head, you have metal sucks, metal injection, gear gods, which is part of metal injection, uh, cult nation, metal insider, the PRP. So some of the older, more established yeah. ones, they, it is, they used to take, interested people who wanted to be part of it they've had other sites in the past they actually reached out to me we're not the biggest website in the world but i'd say we're probably like in terms of volume top 50 top 40 top 35 right we're really good at social media we do Mm -hmm. try to keep up with that i'm still trying to fight the good fight and keep up with some semblance of a news cycle it's really hard to be a news website it's not easy and all the advantages go to the biggest websites in the world because that's who everyone wants to partner with. So mm-hmm. a lot of times you're chasing the news. Now, I grew up, unlike most music journalists, I have a journalism background. I almost have a, a bachelor's degree in, in, in journalism. Before I ever did anything else, I went to school to be a journalist, to be a broadcast journalist and a producer. And I didn't finish. I dropped out. My mother became ill and I had to take care of her. So I dropped out and I never right. went back. But I nearly graduated, and then when I went back to school, I went back to school for business, and then later I got a master's degree in digital marketing and advertising. So I try to take all those little things, plus my passion for music, my history of the music game. Uh, I minored in musicology, so like I feel like I'm a little more well-rounded than most. But Ghost Cult, we found ourselves as part of Blast Beat. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still, even against some of those sites, we're, we're still at the bottom of that pyramid. So I don't... I have tried, it has, the landscape has changed. I have really tried to temper my own ego and my own sore feelings. I got, I get turned down all the time for some bands. I know yeah. I'm not going to get, I, I was once fortunate enough to interview Ozzy in a round table interview in a room of journalists from all over the world. I was mm-hmm. one of the few people that asked a really good question of him. Somebody flew like 20 hours from New Zealand to ask him about dance music if he likes Lady Gaga and wow. Jackson. And I was like, this is what you got on a plane and flew to New York to ask this question of a living legend. Um, so like, I'm thoughtful about what I do and I recognize that I'm not going to get to probably interview Ozzy one-on-one ever in my life or my career, mm-hmm. unless he makes a lot of more albums and I'm around a lot longer. Hopefully I am. Uh, I do get turned down for things. I do. It's interesting to see what gets picked up as news I really work really hard on my band interviews and I don't mm-hmm. do a lot of clickbait stuff. I do very little 
innuendo, rumors, teasing. Yeah. I might get like on when I share a story on social media, that's when I might get a little creative with copy, but like the site itself, we don't, I like to say that we're music news and metal news without the BS because we don't right. do a lot of that stuff. In my video, we started a video news show every week, which we have one out today. And I'm a little more loosey goosey and fun with it because it's YouTube. And now I have to let rely on my personality. It's definitely not these looks. It has to be the personality. So I am <laughs> funny and I am, you know, I have a theater background and a band music background. And I was a singer in a band. So um, I was a front person. So I try to let that come through and I'm entertaining. Funny enough, I just tried to share our video. We do like a, a snippet of our video uh, as an Instagram TV post. And it just got blocked, I think, because I sang the chorus of Two Minutes to Midnight. Oh, wow. On Two Minutes to Late Night in a story right. on their recent cover of something. Because I love those guys and I love when they yeah. do covers. And um we got blocked. So I appealed. But like right now, because of, you know, social distancing and social media companies really running on fumes in terms of actual humans. I don't know if it's going to just stay blocked. They probably need to sing less in these videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's funny. I've been blocked twice and there was nothing that I could think of that really, like there was no music played. It was uh, one thing was an, an albums piece that I did on, one was Twisted Sisters Stay Hungry. It was the YouTube version of that episode. And the other one was, I think, for the um, self-titled Kiss album. And someone must have said something or maybe management didn't want, you know, to have those albums spoken about or whatever. And they got blocked on YouTube. So it was just kind of kind of strange. Um there's a whole war going on right now about IP and takedowns and copyrights. Um, yeah. Last Earlier this year and late last year, Congress held a bunch of sessions, believe it or not, uh, under the former presidency. They held sessions about fair use, copyright. This is a major thing. You know, Metallica was part of that Twitch, big TwitchCon thing. And right. Twitch had to mute Metallica because yeah, Twitch, yeah. who was partnering with Metallica for that event, couldn't get the permission or was afraid to be blocked. So they right. proactively blocked themselves from the broadcast of Metallica participating in a thing. The system's broken. Yeah. There are major labels, and you mentioned Kiss is on the biggest record label in the world, Universal. Yeah. Uh, you know, you might know there are so smaller labels, besides having like every rap and pop yeah. star, they have Lava, they have Republic Records, which has Volby and Greta Van Fleet. So we're talking and Kiss and the biggest of the bigs, right? Yeah. They have literally an army of lawyers. All they do is search YouTube and take people down. Danzig has a guy on his personal team. His whole job is scouring social media and YouTube and lodging copyright strikes against people because he feels like every time someone does a cover or someone, sorry, every time someone does a cover or, uh, you know, it takes something away from him, a spin, a sale, it's one less thing. Now, oh, wow. at Danzig's level, I under, like on one hand, I understand it. If you didn't have bootleg tapes of the Misfits, mm -hmm. would anyone know who the Misfits are today? No, no. If the Misfits didn't have like the, the most bootlegged, sold bootlegs, traded bootlegs in the 80s, they would have never came back in the 90s. I don't want to talk that much about Michael Graves right now, but like, because I used to love him and I used to love, I love American Psycho. If you yeah. didn't have that Misfits comeback, 
there would be no Misfits reunion the last few years that made tens of millions of dollars. I'm personally, there's a great YouTuber. He's a record producer. His name is Rick Beato. And he's done a series of much more articulate than I could be on this topic. But he's done a whole series of things on this. So here's another thing. Like we, um, former senior staff at Ghost Cult would interview artists. They, you know, if you, you know, I'm starting to let other people interview people again. It can't just be me all the time. It's boring to look at me and hear my voice. And also, uh, I think, you know, more voices is is better. It's a better uh, array for the fan. Um, So we used to have some senior staff and they would always intercut live music video live footage of bands in their interview because it's cool it's entertaining it's a better video experience and they're all copyright claimed now they all have strikes on them so i had to either re-edit them without that stuff in it which Mm -hmm. was laborious or i had to take them down or just accept that i can't monetize those videos so it's actually like a credit to us that we have worked so hard at making new content to get monetized because there were some strikes against us to begin with and um, again, if if Instagram blocks me for singing two minutes to midnight with my trooper flag right behind me, <laughs> fuck them. You know, like I don't give a fuck. It's it's a video. I probably get a hundred views on that IGTV. I'm posting two, three IGs a day. I'm posting like ten, you know, twenty something a week. I'm keeping my YouTube clean as much as humanly possible with a couple of right. squares. I'm trying to stay on the right side of the, you know, the light side of the force, but it's tough. And there are whole record labels that their whole mission in life is to just not let anyone have any fun. I feel like all these covers, all the, even I don't, I don't love the reaction video. So-and-so reacts to a pastor reacts to Marilyn Manson, not an example, but a pastor reacts to cannibal corpse. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, Generally, there's no art to that in terms of like, there's, I'm not, no one's watching those for real critique. But they're enjoyable. Right. A music teacher reacts to Mike Patton. I love those. Not mm-hmm. because I like that music teacher is going to deepen or take away from the experience of me loving all of Mike Patton stuff. But I just feel like it actually helps the bands. It's growing awareness. A lot of right. people are going are going to discover new music. That handful of spins from a person who would never listen to Faith No More. Is mm-hmm. gonna hear some faith no more stuff. But I remember that song from MTV with the fish mm-hmm. the video. Like whatever, even if you're a faith no more fan and that shit offends you, it helps the band extend their life. Yeah. And like these record labels don't get it. All these antiquated opinions about who owns something, IP, whether it's a photographer at a concert taking a picture. Well, is the band on that photo forever, or is it right. my creation of an image of a person? There's a war going on about this stuff right now. And honestly, the rest of us are not going to win versus the giant faceless corporate thugs with their lawyers. Sorry, because I love some lawyers and I love a lot of entertainment people, but it's dumb. It's straight up dumb. Yeah, for for a lot of, you know, a lot of conversations that I have with podcasters behind the scenes, because a lot of us have started have stopped playing music um, because, you know, Spotify went and just threw the whole lot of us off because we were playing, let's be honest, songs from bands that are really probably not getting any press anywhere else. Their music isn't being played on terrestrial radio. Their music isn't being played on XM or on Sirius XM Um, for a lot of a lot of bands, and I've had a lot of bands tell me over the years, please play our single. It's the only way people are going to know about 
our new album coming out. And then similar to what you're saying, you know, I've come across PR people or labels. Say, oh, no, 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 that's, you know, that's completely illegal. And it'll be like, well, we're talking about the new album. Can I give them a 10 second sample? Can I give them a 15 second sample? It's like, well, okay, that's, that's fine. It's like, well, you're, you're, you're selling a medium where you need to listen to something to buy it. You know, if I can't include that, how is it going to facilitate that people, as you're saying, you know, uh, someone, a music teacher talks about Patton. So people that normally wouldn't know Mike Patton or wouldn't know Faith No More are being turned on to that. This is a similar case scenario. How, how many people have we talked to over the years that have said, oh, man, I love that band back in the 90s. And it's like, well, they've put out 15 albums since, you know, they didn't drop off. You kind of stopped listening. So for a lot of for a lot of bands, podcasts have become a lifeline. And now with this kind of, you know, it's definitely, I think, scared a lot of people off in the sense that they think that labels may start coming after shows or, you know, different people for money. But I would think, you know, I don't know. I I don't think it's in their best interest in the end, because I think you're going to dry up a good section of, you know, new catalog coming out and even a lot of, you know, quote unquote heritage bands that let's be honest, a, a 12 and a 13 year old um, isn't, playing the latest, you know, or, or isn't, isn't playing uh, volume four from black Sabbath, you know, they it's more likely that they're playing baby metal or poppy um, or, or even lamb of God. than it is them going back and checking out something from the seventies. So, I mean, I, I think there's, there has to be a point in the not too distant future where, cooler heads have to prevail at some point, but I don't know if that's going to be like a, a point of no return where there's going to be nothing, nothing left for, for the industry. And, and let's be honest, you know, I see, right. My kids are into a lot of the bands that I listened to and they went like ape shit when they saw ACDC was on Fortnite, you know, for them, video games are the new, are the new rock stars. Um, it's a completely different medium that isn't attacking people for playing, you know, for, for having these YouTube videos where they're showing people play games or, or tips or secrets or things like that, where it's, it's the opposite. You talked about reviews. There's been a definite change in how reviews are handled from when I worked with you at metal army America, where things were kind of free and kind of wide open and, and I honestly stopped doing reviews outside of like two or three lines when I do my new releases um, because, you know, it's it sucks when you write your own opinion and then you're told by someone at a label or a PR person, you know, we need you to change that review so it's positive. Yeah. You know, it's, I, kind of uh, it's not. Yeah, it's horseshit. I've had. My own issues, I can recal, you know, regale you with a few stories. I do want to piggyback on the podcasting. First of all, I love podcasting. Over 10 years ago, when I was getting my master's at Boston University, my professor, who ended up becoming my mentor and my boss in the professional world a little bit, at that time, we were, she was a teacher and I was her student. She was like, 
I don't think podcasts are going to last. They're not monetizable. <laughs> and I got up in the class and I talked about Kevin Smith, who just started his yep. like smodcast. It was the baby steps. And I was like, he has sponsors. He's on every podcast platform at the time. It was three. Now it's whatever, 30. But he was on all three. And I was like, this is, he's opening the door to the future. This is going to happen. Um, I agree with you about reviews. I think they are still necessary. They're not as respected by the labels because they don't want you to review something badly. I am flattered when a publicist reaches out and says, were you going to review this? A review from Ghost Cult, we would like one, whether it's good or bad. Some of them right. understand you're not going to like any everything. There's a band that just, a deathcore band that just dropped a new release. One of their members is a prominent music journalist and one of the nicest, best people in the business. Our guy butchered their fucking album. Butchered it. Butchered it. And right. um, I was like, oh, I have to, I'm going to run this. The publicist is one of the biggest publicity companies in the world. They're on a, they're not on a big label, but they are on Bloodlast. I'm probably giving away right. who this is already by all these clues. But um, it's not a bad record. My writer felt that it was so in the pocket of the genre, so cliched. Mm-hmm. They just like, here's the kitchen sink of everything in this genre. And he didn't like it. He was like, right. I'd be happier if you didn't do that. So mm-hmm. he gave it a very, we don't give, I think if you, there are a lot of bloggers who just review only what they like. So everything is a 10 or a nine. Then you don't right. have any range of quality and you don't know if something is, what is a good seal of approval? I'm proud to say in my tenure running Ghost Cult, we are known for being tough on bands. We don't totally butcher anyone. We, if there's going to be a negative review, we back it up with some you know cogent thoughts. Some, not trying to hurt people's feelings. There's no justice in punching down and piling on. And then this right. is going to lead to my story in a, in a bit if we have time for it. But um you know, there's plenty of people on the internet, YouTube, podcasts, whatever, who be like, I hate this. Or they will purposefully review stuff in a genre they just don't like at all. And I don't like black metal, and I'm going to only review black metal so I can be very <laughs> angry at black metal and how dumb it is. That shit's worthless. If you, if you're, I'd rather say, look, I have a person that's like an expert tier level person, loves extreme underground and music and black metal, and I give them a new black metal record to review. It's going to come from a place that they came from with mm-hmm. some thoughtfulness, even if they don't love it. Right. But there are definitely labels who will be unhappy with your bad review of their bands. And they will, you know, listen, as also as a publicist, on the other hand, I've had some bad reviews of my bands. Right. And I just don't share them with them. And if they discover them, I'm like, well, you know, you're going to get some bad ones. And I definitely try to put the best foot forward. And sometimes a bad review at a big website is just as good as a good review at any other website. So right. Absolutely. You, know, you get smashed up by some big, big website. You know, Blabbermouth decides your album sucks and they write about it. That's really good for you. But mm-hmm. someone's going to listen to you anyway. And a lot of people that still rely on reviews will check out badly reviewed things to mm-hmm. see if they agree. Or, look, I like that record. Why do they think it? I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like that genre. Why do they think it sucks? So there's still a, a place for this. Now I'm going to just throw myself under the bus a little bit. I don't do a lot of trolling on social media. I will call out some things. One, I'll, you know, Maybe politics. I'm definitely all on the side of justice um, and, and very liberal there. But in terms of just this industry, there's so many people trolling everybody. I try not to. There are a lot of people passing themselves off as criticism, as critiques, 
mm-hmm. that are not critiquing. They're just punching down. They're yeah. just, or, and if they're not punching down on the band or the genre, they're punching the fans who like those bands and genres. So there's a very popular podcast. I will never be as popular as these guys probably with my endeavors. And their whole thing is like, this band sucks, that band sucks, this band sucks. So I said, like, there's an, if you take some of the YouTubers who do the same thing, some of them, there's an art about it. Uh, right. Nostalgia critic who I don't love, but he likes to break down from a filmmaker's perspective what's good and what's bad, what worked, what didn't, about stuff everyone loves. Because you're getting that tension, right? That's what makes people watch, is the mm-hmm. tension. I love Finn McKenzie, the punk rock NBA, because a lot of his stuff is... It's a spicy take, but a lot of he backs up with his opinion and reasons right. why. And if you don't agree, you don't agree, but he's going to tell you why. So certain people punch down. So I compared, here's a podcast of people who like, this sucks, that sucks. And if you like that, you suck too. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a YouTube channel that I like where they kind of do the same thing, but it's all tongue in cheek. And it's not picking on you for liking it. It's like, why are these choices made? And I compared the two in a tweet, and these guys, the podcast guys, fans, mobbed me. Oh, you fucked up now. You blew it now. We're going to troll the shit out of you. Go ahead, dude. I'm not trolling. I'm just pointing out that, like, if all you – this is – like, even I, who can be very uh, negative, pessimistic guy from the Bronx, New York, historically – even I am not dark clouds and rain all the time. It's got to right. rain all the time. Sometimes you got to say something positive and light and then uplifting. What are you doing this for if not to uplift anybody? You're just doing this to hear yourself and have some people agree with you in an echo chamber. There's no value in that to me. Yeah. 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 I agree with you. It's, um, it's strange. Yeah. I, I have, uh, I, I don't like throwing a lot of stuff out there. I, I, I'll throw videos out there for people to check out. But for example, last week, um, I, I couldn't help it, you know, with, uh, through my Patreon, um, I post, I, I end up posting like anywhere between four to six new videos per day. Um, and there's a, a band out of the UK. They're called, uh, the dust coda who I happen to think that their album was okay. They're on earache. They're like a throwback, you know, just a rock band. And, um, and I couldn't help it. There's a song off of their new album that the opening riff, the first two notes are the same notes to rats, lack of communication. And my whole thing and there, I guess the guy that started earache first liked my tweet. And then he posted a link to the rat song and said, um, so apparently this song is, or the riff is a copy off of this rat song. Uh, I don't hear it or something like that. And, um, and I was like, look, you know, probably wasn't a conscious thing, but my whole point was the press release was the band is a combination between Led Zeppelin and bad company. And I was like, whenever you have stuff like that, you know, it, to, to me, automatically, it's all right. Bullshit, first of all. And then sec- second of all, it's like a lot of people have gotten this this whole thing where they're hung up on what the 80s were, what their friends have said, what the 80s were. So instead of coming out and playing up on their musicianship or anything like that, it's automatically. No, we don't want anything to do with that. I I brought up a point that with um, uh, Mark Morton's solo album that he released, which I absolutely love. 
there's two songs that flat out sound like they could have come out in the 80s. There's one song that I've always said is the best Dokken song that Dokken never wrote. And I saw the reviews when the album came out. This is a blues rock throwback to 70s type. And I'm like, no, he sounds like George Lynch on this track. I mean, why why are rock and metal sites so afraid to say, well, you know, it sounds like his influence was, again, George Lynch was a Warren D. Martini, was someone out of an era where, sure, image was king for a lot of these things, but it doesn't diminish the fact that, you know, no one all of a sudden says, well, Randy Rhodes sucked because he wore Cavaricis, you know, it, it, it's kind of foolish that all these years later, you've got these timeless pieces of music and people are still hung up on whether someone wore spandex or eyeliner. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, Poor opinions. Rat rules. They're one of the greatest bands ever. I would almost, I would sometimes put Rat out of Motley Crue a lot. Um, I know that's controversial, but I'll do it. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they're just stuck in this, I have to uphold this thing that, like, I'm so metal and, and glam rock and hair metal was stupid and dumb. I could point out a lot of grunge bands were stupid and dumb grunge, which isn't even described music. At least right. glam rock describes the music and not a, a fashion sense also, uh, or only. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's weird. We live in weird times. Uh, you know, Red is tremendous. I'm still, you know, Dokken, you know, pretty solid. I never thought Don was great, great as a singer, but he could carry it too, certainly better than Vince Neil. But, um, <laughs> you know, we could get, we could go there someday. But, yeah, it's weird. I think it's, it's weird, um, you know, Everything is inspired by somebody else. Yeah. I think as a journalist, you and I have both have seen a million press releases with the initials FFO for fans of because it helps lazy, unimaginative journalists immediately conjure what the band is supposed to be. And then right. either you kind of work, you are now building an assumption to work against or for with that artist. Um, it's kind of interesting, by the way, that earache has rebounded completely as a label that is now signing and putting out new bands. I'm, I'm happy about it, but I'm also shocked. I never thought they were going to do anything except the nostalgia train. And Earache is almost getting to the level with some of their bands where they're going to compete with the, you know, Century Media and Metal Blade and Nuclear Blast and Napalm again for the first time in decades. So props to them for kind of, Yeah. yeah, super cool. And uh, if that was Digby, that's hilarious. Yes. Uh, I know Al, Dor- Al Dawson is also very prominent the label. He's big on Instagram and will harsh people if he doesn't like their opinions. And that's how it is, man. It's like, you know what? They have a legacy name. They got a handful of really great up-and-coming and, and current new bands. Mm-hmm. Um, I do hear stuff all the time. It's like, did they copy that riff? Like, you start playing, like, name that other tune in your head. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? Every every thrash album uh, has, has I've heard every Neil Pizza Thrash band new crossover thrash band I have heard uh, in the last ten years has blatantly ripped off Dave Mustaine or Gary Holt endlessly, right? Um, and they were you know even those guys were inspired by other people before they created original work. So yeah, you know the, to, how often do you hear something truly groundbreaking and original? Right. That's why it goes cult. Like we still give grades. And we don't give out a lot of high ones. Mm-hmm. Most most albums, really, most stuff, I get a thousand emails a day. 
500 are from labels and bands and try to pitch me and 500 are marketing and stuff, corporate right. marketing and other things, social media. A lot of the stuff is bad, just mm-hmm. not good. Not yep. everything is a 10 of 10. How many 10 of 10 albums have you heard in the last couple of years? If you said more than a few, I would be suspect. If you had like, or like, here's the thing. So let's talk about it in another way. This kind of owes back to something else you said a few minutes ago. So like, if you didn't play certain bands on your podcast, or I didn't highlight certain bands on my site anywhere, even in a one line mention, even in a new music post, a roundup, if we didn't give some light to these bands, no, not that we're the only ones and no one else would, but you're right. They're not on satellite radio, certainly not on terrestrial radio, but even in the underground, like Jimmy Metal, which I love those guys. And they had the Ricky Rapman FX Ball last week. It's replaying tomorrow. Like even them, their charts and their bands and their labels are still from the same 40 labels that everybody knows. And even the more underground labels like Tank Crimes and like I said, Southern Lord, 20 Bucks Spin, these are small, small labels. They don't, they, even if they have, you know, now you can have major label distribution with a tiny, tiny label if they think mm-hmm. you can sell the records and move the units. But some of these bands will never get heard. Now, conversely, let's take a label like Frontiers SRO out of Italy, right? Milan, Italy. Fantastic record, a wide variety of artists, but mostly like symphonic rock and symphonic metal and heavy metal or Golden Robot Records, which has like a LA and Australia thing. And they're doing like a, like Cleopatra, a hand in the past, some older veteran artists and new bands. And right. sort of that mix of rock and heavy metal. James Durbin's recent solo record was amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing. He wrote all the riffs. It sounds like Dio and Maiden and Priest on purpose. Right. There's a blatant Maiden ripoff. Like the first riff of the album sounds exactly like a Maiden song. Sounds exactly like a peace of mind track. Uh, he's magical. And he he's on Frontiers, who he was on with Quiet Riot, and that record's pretty good too. And it just didn't work out for him to stay in that band. But like a lot of people are gonna miss that Durbin record because it's on Frontiers. They're right. not he's not getting played anywhere. If I get another show at Gimme Metal, I'm definitely gonna put on a track from it. Because I had put my, I did one show for them and I put my playlist together well before I got the promo. Now it's out. I could probably get a song on there. But like, it's wild to me that like a guy who's been on American Idol and went into every TV, uh, you know, a certain pop culture television event like American Idol just 10 years ago, his record is largely unknown. And Mark Morton's solo record, he's like, the, the rhythm guitarist and Lamb of God, a lot of regular metal has known that he put out at least an album and an EP in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. That's that's why a lot of people, you know, I was listening to um, uh, Jerry Cantrell's Boggy Depot uh, earlier this week. And when people talk about, you know, the whole why, you know, why did they bring the Allison Chains name back? Well, it's obvious he put out two great solo albums that no one knows about. You know, let's be honest. So, you know, why wouldn't he use a name, a brand name that he built up? You know, it isn't as if he was, you know, a fifth generation member of the band or whatever. No, he was one of the guys that started the band. He owns the name to to boot. So it always kills me when you see people online. Well, they should call it something else. Or they should stop doing music because uh, Lane is no longer around. What should they do? 
dedicate their lives to painting houses now because some guy in Iowa, you know, doesn't want them to use the Allison Chains name. It doesn't make sense. I'm glad you brought up Allison Chains. First of all, one of my top five bands ever. Uh, William has done an immaculate job since coming into the band. He has yeah. not tried to replace Lane. On the older material, he does have a, a, you know, sounds a bit like Lane. He's got his own voice. He's writing his own songs. He's mm -hmm. a genius. If you don't know that he put out an incredible solo acoustic album last yes. year called One Alone on his own record label. I can't recommend this enough if you love like Alice in Chains Unplugged. If you like, you know, uh, anything in that realm, he did a whole album, just him and a guitar, and it's brilliant. Um, Jerry, I love those records. I'm going to keep you from getting a copy at Right Strike by resisting trying to sing Anger Rising right now or Angel Eyes or any of those songs. Uh, mm -hmm. I love Degradation Trip. I love Boggy Devo Cut You In. There's a big yeah. track from that. He, I saw him open for Metallica. So look, the guy, like in the 70s, the Eagles broke up mm -hmm. and Don Henley, Glenn Frey, you know, uh, Joe Walsh all went back to their solo stuff and had huge million-selling hit records in the 80s. That right. Jerry Cantrell didn't become like a humongous singer-songwriter, like the career that Ed Sheeran has. I'm not saying it's the same kind of music, but like Ed Sheeran right. has made like a gajillion dollars writing mm -hmm. jangly acoustic songs, basically coffee shop rock for every right. artist. And then he kind of now dabbles in like pop and rap and stuff like that. But like, he is basically like a singer songwriter guy became a producer and is now humongous. The fact mm -hmm. that the same thing was not allowed to happen for Jerry Cantrell is a crime. And he has a solo record coming out and mm -hmm. it will get well received and it maybe do a little better now than he did 20 years ago, but it's almost 20 years. And he had to basically bring the name. He wasn't trying to bring the name back, but once you start playing, he always played with Sean actually it was uh, Sean Kenny. Yeah. It was always on his solo albums. And as, at a certain point, you have Sean and you have Jerry. You almost have the band. And I respect right. that. Like, you can't replace certain people. Mm -hmm. Stone Temple Pilots is another one. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant band. Jeff Gutt is amazing. Yes, yeah. he sounds like Wyland. He's supposed to. They only know how to make Stone Temple Pilots music. They can't mm -hmm. go and write something else. They did that. They tried. They, they tried. <laughs> it wasn't bad, but yeah. it wasn't them. It's not mm -hmm. who they are. They got Chester in the band. Rest in peace, Chester. I don't know any band that's had two lead singers die. Help me out here. You're as much of a, a veteran in this business as me. I can't yeah, think of one band that has had two yeah, me neither. die tragically of drugs or you know, some suicide, yeah. suicide and drug overdose. Maybe a suicide. I mean, we'll never know. But, um, you know, super sad. But, yeah, I mean, like that rec the, the records they've done with Jeff are amazing. He goes out there and does a phenomenal job on the old material. Actually, their mm -hmm. live stream... Uh, was really kind of got overlooked, but it was brilliant. They did um, Purple, a whole yeah. live set of Purple. He's mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, he's written with them. The Unplug record they did, Perdidia, Perdidia uh, was incredible and was supposed they were supposed to do a huge tour and they didn't. Um, yeah. So, you know, I get that some bands love a person so much they can't accept the band anymore. I know people who never listen to Metallica after Cliff died and they blame Metallica, even in Justice for All, they blame. Lars and, and uh, James for that. But it's like, people die, tragedies happen, shit happens. Lane right. died a long time ago, man. And I love him. He's one of my favorite singers ever. And I used to sing in bands, you know, to deny that these guys are not, you know, I'm glad that we have this bunch of records. I'm so, yeah. I mean, this, this Black Is Way to Blue is brilliant. You know, uh, the other two records are at least excellent. Maybe mm -hmm. they're not tens, but they're excellent. 
and it allows right. them to go out and continue to spread this music to everybody. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I love the three albums that they released since they've come back. So, I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, you touched upon Gimme Metal. You touched upon the fact that you had Ricky Rackman on last week. Um, how feasible do you think it'll be for them to continue to put out, you know, obviously it's, we're in the infancy, infancy now with, you know, what they're going to do with the ball. Uh, also with the, with their station, they have, you know, they have a Dave Mustaine, they have Will Carroll from Death Angel. They have a bunch of other uh, name people that have been involved. As you mentioned, you've been involved as well. Um, do you see that platform can can they take off and sustain themselves? Because I mean, we've seen all these years later with Sirius and Sirius XM, it's kind of gone back to what terrestrial radio has ended up becoming, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, where it's kind of just the same old, same old being played every, every day. Do you think Gimme Metal has the wings to avoid those kind of pitfalls and and build upon what they're doing right now? I do. Uh, funny enough, I, uh, somebody else, I did, it's not out yet, but I interviewed uh, Chad from uh, Hemlock, and he has a new song literally about ter- like satellite radio playing the same 10 bands over and over and how hard right. it is to break in. Uh, shout out for everybody in your chat, by the way. I have like one eye on the screen over here to my yeah. left. You're left. They're alive I'm tonight. not, I'm not uh, <laughs> spacing out. My screen is here and my camera is here, so I'm trying to like divide my eyes. But uh, shout out to uh, Rock and Roll, Brad, Jeremy, everybody in the chat. That's I appreciate all of y'all. Um, you know, it's wild. I do like Gimme Metal. Uh, I like what they've done. They are all in. They was founded by. For people who don't know, it's basically app based. You can listen to it on a laptop or desktop. But the best functionality is on mobile. So I think there's a chasm to cross. As usual, a great idea sometimes comes ahead of the technology. The problem they had, if you tried to tune into the ball, it's hard to cast that phone app to a TV, which you can do from Netflix and Hulu and other things, Amazon Prime, but it's hard to, they don't have it, technology quite worked out. They did a live, their first like pay-per-view live stream with Gay Era, brilliant black metal band, and mm-hmm. it crashed a bunch. I, I will give them credit as from a customer service and marketing standpoint, whenever they've had struggles, they definitely go all out to make it up to the fans. They are creating an immersive community, not just with their chat function, but also their store. Mm-hmm. You can save a playlist of your likes. So every song you hear, you can like and share every track. Cool. And you can make a Spotify list. I here's the evil Spotify again, but you can mirror that list to Spotify. So you can go then take that cultured list over with you to Spotify and help those right. fans get those plays on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have like, I think... I've done quite a bit of research into these guys. I think they have like about 150 plus thousand regular listeners. So that's a, that's proof that this underground music is still thriving. There is an audience for it. They did the ball. I thought what I saw, I loved. I love Ricky. His heart is in the right place. He did it for free. I don't even know that they had the tip jar out for him. I hope people tipped him or found a way to you know pay it forward for him. He did this thing. He, he's dying to do this. He volunteered to do it for free. Uh, it would, you know, get. I was like, well, if Notfest sponsored this thing, isn't there some Notfest money? But I'm looking at the videos they played, just like they spent the entire budget, probably just getting Metallica. 
You know, like even Metallica is not going to donate their video to be played for free. There has to be some kind of uh, payment for them to get the spin. So it's a, it's not cheap to make these shows. It is costly. Some labels underground, you know, if you had a band, you'd be like, dude, I would, I couldn't wait for them to play my video. But, you know, these labels do need to, somebody's got to get paid somewhere for the rights mm-hmm. to play it. I do believe it could last. I do believe it could thrive. I would love to see Ricky come on, even if it was twice a month regularly host the ball he literally could do it from his house as you saw um he has three you know production areas in his house where he does vlogging and videos and tv shows and all his stuff he's anxious to do it i think there's enough interest they need to get the platform advanced a little more so it's uh you know better a better user experience so people aren't so angry especially like i'm i'm a subscriber so like even if they never worked with me um they uh i think originally I was introduced to them by a mutual friend. They were interested in having me host a show, maybe even semi-regularly. Then got, the pandemic happened, and they started opening up all this thing, which they were going to do anyway, have bands come in and host. They were already doing it on a small scale. Then the pandemic happened, and they opened it up to basically everybody. Right. So they don't need hosts that badly anymore like they used to. So <laughs> I got my shot to do a show. I put a playlist together. I was like, what is everybody here going to like? So I did mostly sort of more recent things and some cool bands that I thought maybe they weren't playing enough and a couple of throwback things that I threw in there and some underground bands I know they didn't know about. And that was like my thing. If I get another shot at a show, I might make it a little more old school and a little more well-rounded into things that I'm into. But um, I tried to cater to the listeners. It's like, I think this is stuff we cover in Ghost Cult, but also like, what do they want to hear? And as a DJ and a radio background person, I also was like, oh, like it's like putting a set together for a DJ show. So I do love them. I want them to win. I want them to succeed. I think Dave Mustaine was an original founding um, investor, as well as Jess Pimentel from Alakine's Gun and from Orange is the New right. Black and TV and stuff. So, and Brugaria. So, like, I'm a big fan of them, and uh, I love some of their hosts. Uh, I really enjoy listening to, like, Dean Rispler and Brian Postain's Grandpa Metal Show, Grandpa's Metal Stash, or whatever it is. He is a humongous, and I love, it's like one of my bucket list interviews, is to interview yeah. Brian. He's a huge metalhead. <clears throat> yeah, last year we also got word that the Hit Parader name was coming back with some pretty heavy hitters behind it. Uh, talks like this and loves every day. Everybody has met Enfield and I love everything and nothing has ever sucked. I love him so much. I love that dude. But I, every time I think of Hit Parader and I think of Matt Pinfield, that just, I hear his girl yeah. with glass gravelly voice. That, that I think is, could also be potentially really huge um, for, for us. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, this, um, Andy Black series that's going to uh, Amazon now is theirs, uh, Paradise City. Um, so they're, I mean, that that's a huge dent, you know, with that right there. Whether you like Black Veil Brides or you like what um, what he does with his solo stuff or not, you know, just having anything that's remotely within the, the, the loud rock genre, as people call it now, um, you know, I think is something to be commended, (laughs) you know, um, I, I think, uh, I think that we're in for a few interesting years here to see where it all shakes out. 
you know, whether it's what we've talked about with podcasting, whether it's with a gimme medal or a hit parader. Um, I, I do think that there are a lot of people like us that love hard rock and metal music. And there's definitely, you know, a, a future for all this stuff. And, and, and I'm hoping that as, you know, these more money is poured into it once again, hopefully it will, there will be more opportunity for, for all of us and more importantly, the bands to actually exist and continue to churn out good music. Right on. I love that you mentioned Andy Black. Uh, he kind of reminds me of a young Sebastian Bach. He's criminally good looking, like almost makes me angry how good looking a dude he is. I, here's a fun story. I went to an Andy Black solo show at the okay. Kersey Theater in New York. I was definitely in my metal vest with my beer hanging out, rapping to moms and MILFs and moms and cougars uh, who were there with their teenage daughters. I was definitely too old to be in the room. I don't love all their music, but I like him personally. We've hung out, right. spent some time with him. His graphic novel, Ghost of Ohio, if you like graphic novels and ghost stories, is brilliantly written. It's a little bit autobiographical, but it's also a ghost story. Mm -hmm. An album by that title. I don't love everything. You know, Blackville Brides is basically Motley Crue for today with a little, right. you know, a little better singing and a little less panache. And so we need you, if you love Necrot and you love The Absence and you love, uh, you know, Black Label Society, you need a band like Blackville Brides. You need an Andy Black type of person mm -hmm. to get other people on the journey to where they find you. So right. I always say it's like, you know, the person that likes Blackville Brides today will also see Motionless and White. That person mm -hmm. will see Motionless and White and then pick up a Danzig record. That Danzig fan will find them dan find themselves at a festival that Disturbed is headlining at. They'll like Disturbed for whatever reason and go on and find better and more extreme bands than Disturbed. Yeah. So it's like metal and rock is like AA. We'll take you in any condition at any time. Mm -hmm. We are not going to turn our nose up at you like jazz guys, and I love jazz, but like we're not going to turn our nose up at you and be like, nah, not you. We're not going to hip-hop guys. We're not going to let you guys in. Mm -hmm. we were never be, we're not supposed to be gatekeepers. Yes, if you're very elitist and you love, I only like death metal and fuck everything else. Cool, bro. Fine. But like that's not how we have to be. Right. And we, we need to circle the wagons. We're not dead. We're not going away in the sense that it's not commercial anymore, in the sense that it's not on Main Street anymore. You know, the, they like our image, but they don't want to rep our bands. They will wear the Guns N' Roses shirt, but I don't care that they can, you know, I'm, I'm, I hate people with like the name three songs thing. That mm -hmm. that girl who was the uh, TikTok guitar player. And they're like, you can't even name three Metallica songs. And then she went on like, she just yeah. destroyed them on her deep knowledge of the band. And she's yeah. not that old. So clearly she did her homework. We have to stop being like that. We need supporters. And even, you know, if somebody out there like, listen, I like a lot of punk rock and maybe I don't like everything today, but those bands of today look up to the bands I used to like too. Right. So, you know, we can't afford to be this elitist and, and naive and negative. I agree. Like, like what you like, love what, love who you love. And if this is not for me, this is not for me, that's fine. But don't tell them they don't deserve a seat at the table. That's just nuts. Yeah. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. That always drives me nuts again going back to you know uh, being being someone who grew up during the 80s and there was so much different stuff going on and people say well if you like this you can't like anthrax if you like kiss you can't like well why not 
if I like Kiss and Iron Maiden and Anthrax, you know what? It's it's all as long as the music is good. What what does the subgenre or whatever that someone is putting on it, you know, whatever label someone is putting on it, why why does that matter? And like you said, you know, if a, if a kid gets turned on to they for whatever reason hear a song on the radio or they go to a festival with someone and they went because one band kind of interested them, you know, and that that means that they go off on a tangent. Circling back to my kids, my youngest son, the first, I think, like gateway song was um, Thunderstruck by ACDC. Next thing I knew, I had uh, AIR by Anthrax all of a sudden had like 628 plays on an iPod. <laughs> what the hell happened? But, you know, that's what it is. He started listening to things that, you know, were available to him. And he started like just focusing on different bands or different songs that he liked. And he would just play them over and over again. So um, if whatever gateway keeps you within this music, or at least turns you on to this music. I mean, I think so many people are, get lost in the whole, as you said, the Cliff Burton thing. Metallica sold out after the Black Album. So instead of whenever they say, oh, well, Metallica has just, you know, doubled the sales of Shania Twain's, uh, whatever the big album was that she had, over since, since, um, um, now, now I'm going off on a, on a tangent and I don't remember the, the, uh, the, um, uh, is it a man, a man, it feels good to be a woman or something? No, but the, um, yeah. the, what they use to actually count the sales, um, oh, sound scan, sound scan. There you go. Every time that you see sound scan, the black album has just sold another 20 million albums and you'll automatically see a comment. That's the album where they sold out. So instead of thinking, you know what? I love Metallica, but that isn't an album that I particularly care for. But I applaud a metal band for being the biggest selling act, you know, over X amount of years. You know, there's there has to be some nutty divide where you know, some people, yeah, some people just have to like throw down their fucking uh, credibility and yeah. you know throw the gauntlet down. Here's a here's a stat that will blow people's minds: Metallica sells six thousand black album physical copies a week. Six thousand copies, not streams. Six thousand copies. Yeah. Who is buying? Who is discovering this album for the first? I'm so happy. Actually, yeah. people discovering this. I don't care. I don't. The well, Black Album is not my favorite Metallica album. It's Ride the Lightning uh, or, or Master. But like, that's so great for our genre that we that the biggest band statistically ever in rock music came from our subgenre is humongous. It's yes. the reason it continues to persist. Like an annoying family member that won't go home after the dinner is over. Like. <laughs> We will not leave our seat at the table because of a Metallica, because we had Slayer. If you're sick of hearing about Metallica, I don't like Metallica, then find the band you do. Like Evile is about to drop a comeback album. Yeah. I'm, it's, it's awesome. I'm so stoked yeah. for them. Gamma Bomb is one of my favorite records this year. Hilarious and ass-kicking. And those guys love this. This is their life. This music. Yeah. If they weren't making it, they'd still be doing They'd be running a venue. COVID notwithstanding, they'd be selling, you'd be at a bar serving beers. This would be on their radio. This is what they do. This is who they are. 
we need these Necrot is, you know, one of the best death metal bands to come along. They're on their third record. They're already working on another one, not wrestling on their laurels. They had a Billboard Top 40 rock record as a death metal, non-melodic death metal record. There's nothing catchy about them other than that they're cool and they make heavy, brutal music and their album artwork is like mind blowing. But like they're not, they're not in flames. They're not going to do it in flames and suddenly have like sequencers and, and dancing up and down and Will Smith jiggy outfits like they're not gonna be getting jiggy with it on a rooftop like in flames will or or soil work because they're so melodic and catchy they're gonna cross over into like rock they're not gonna do that they're a death metal band and they have a hit record maybe they're never gonna do that again or maybe yeah. they will but it's like these things are wonderful for our scene this is uh amazing yeah. uh, necrod is out on 10 crimes records i always have to give those guys a shout out fantastic underground label so yeah man it's just like yeah there's room for everybody at the table like what you like love what you love don't like who you don't like that's why i'm not saying you gotta love everything is whatsoever's but you know i know people that hate symphonic metal i was a classical music student i sang opera in high school like mm-hmm. and i have an affinity for that stuff is it my absolute favorite stuff ever as i get older and older i tend to like doom metal and droney things and avant-garde weird stuff Mm-hmm. And I, I still love some of the classic bands and I still go back and listen to the classic stuff. But yeah, man, like as I, my taste changed too. Do I still love some of that stuff? Of course. But the, yeah. you know, am I going to go out and rock within temptation for a week straight? Probably not. But I loved interviewing Sharon and talking to her all about her career. So like, I feel very lucky. I feel like we're in a very lucky space and age and I don't see streaming. I finally understand now that like streaming services are really not a sales tool. They're an awareness generator. And that's if you're a band and you're watching this and you're in the sound of our voices, like I get it that it's not fair. You should get compensated for what you what people buy. I'm interested to see how this new SoundCloud plan platform of, of paying artists. Like if you and I listen to a SoundCloud, mm-hmm. our actual listens of a SoundCloud song will go as money to the artist or label. That's cool. We'll see if it sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, I like what Bandcamp, even without Bandcamp Friday, I like what Bandcamp is doing now, live streaming. Yeah. If they can monetize it in a way better than Facebook did because they made it restrictive, monetize it closer to what YouTube does and not have the big barrier of the subs. I, I, it could right. take people years to get, like, decades to get a thousand subs. I think they need to lower that barrier to entry on YouTube. But I, I feel like it's a really golden time. And if you could use a, a Spotify to get your band known, but make the sales and the connection and grow the community other places like a band camp or SoundCloud in the future. Right. I think that's the key to a, a DIY band being able to have a career in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. The, again, getting back to what we were talking about social media, it, it, I mean, if you really look at it, YouTube is the second biggest search engine on the web after Google. And as you pointed out with Spotify, whether you like their, you know, whether you like what's said about them or not, it's still a tool for getting, you know, your music out there for getting yourself established with people. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's up to, it's up to bands. I think in the end to captivate an audience, get them to a show and then get them to put their money down. Unfortunately, 
you know, the paradigm has shifted. It's not what it once was. And it's never going to go back regardless what people want. So, you know. Yeah. We're never going to have a Def Leppard hysteria moment ever again or a Metallica blackout one where they were everywhere. There was like five minutes in 1992 after the <laughs> blackout had been out for like six months. And I would say like spring of 92, I was going to Bronx Community College and I came home from school and I had just like just gotten cable in the last couple of years. And I remember flipping on the cable and the last thing I had watched the night before was MTV. It was like Channel 28 and Metallica was on at like 4.30 on a Tuesday. And I was like, what? Just, and it was like Creeping Death live from like <laughs> what would become Binge and Purge. And I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. What is this? How did this happen? How? How did this band that was like my secret little yeah. paradise the whole 80s i got into metallica in like 85 my first first day purchase of a metallica record was master of puppets probably not first day but first couple of weeks mm-hmm. and ever since then i've been on you know except for lulu i've been on the train um <laughs> and i and i should have been like lulu is literally made for someone like me i love lou reed it's horrible i can't get those hours of my life back trying to i wrote the review for metal army i can never get that time on my life back it's definitely lost time um but yeah, man, it's like, it's, it's wild to me. We do live in a weird and interesting age where technology, especially this social media, it's a, it could be a tremendous help to you. It could be a tremendous hurt to you. And I'm going to say what I said on another recent show. I said that most labels and bands think that they're good at social media and they suck at it. Labels are bad at it. Just making a post is the bare minimum. That's not how you social media. That's the bare minimum use if I go, if I need to get in a room and I turn the doorknob to open the door, that's the bare minimum thing I can do entering that room. Okay. If I reheat dinner from last night to make dinner for my family, that's the bare minimum, not making a new meal from scratch. So and people need to understand that social media is complex. Engaging with the audience and building and creating and keeping an audience is complex and takes time. And most labels and especially publicists are terrible at this. So a lot of bands just think, well, I got signed to a metal label. I'm on nuclear blast and they have marketers and videographers and a social media expert on their staff. I'm a guy that made, I don't have to do anything Eh, wrong. You have so much to do. And this is why, this is what I live for. This is why I do what I do. Um, I have a free Facebook group, by the way, that anybody can join called the music marketing mixer. Uh, please answer the questions to get in. We don't spam. Check out my band. Check out my band. A couple of days a week, we have some promotion times, but mostly it's asking and answering questions and trying to help uplift people because mm-hmm. that's my self-interest. Is I, If everybody is following the best practices, it makes everybody better. So that's what we try to do. That's what I do with my... I have a new music marketing podcast I'm launching. Uh, I teach and train. That's kind of what I do plus ghost cult is and i try to use my platform at ghost cult even to tell the other journals like listen you don't have to listen to me but this is kind of the way to do this and you probably won't listen to me because i'm just me but like you kind of should do what you're doing you should do this instead because you help more people that way instead of being like i don't whatever dickweed shit everybody else is doing (laughs) yeah sorry not sorry yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. It's what I said initially. You know, I think you've done a great job at leveraging the tools that are out there. And, you know, a lot of people, let, let's be honest, you look back at a 
Peter Frampton, a Billy Joel, a Joe Walsh, people who all similar to what you're saying, different time period, but eh, I'll let my guy take care of it. You know, I got a guy at the label that does that for me. I got this. And then you read all these years later. Well, I'm broke. I didn't have this. I didn't do this. I didn't. Well, yeah, you've signed on to do this, but that doesn't mean that the work ends there. You still, you still have to look out for number one. If you don't look out for yourself, no one else is going to. So facts. I, I think about Billy Joel a lot. I think about Prince. Mm-hmm. If even if you have an underground grindcore band, please have a will and have somebody have an agreement about what's going to happen to your music after you're gone, because you will not, if you're not in control of it, someone else will. Uh, yeah. I love Billy Joel. He grew up a huge Billy Joel fan in New York. And I think about Liberty DeVito. If you watch the movie Sideman about, you know, about all these different people who've performed as the backup guys, yeah. And Billy Liberty DeVito, who has songwriting credits with Billy Joel, expected the Billy Joel bandwagon to go forever for him. Yeah. Where he, I'm just going to play drums for Billy Joel for the rest of my life. And Billy Joel woke up one day and was like, nah, I don't want to make new music. And I don't need, yeah. I want a whole new band to tour with. You're fired, you're fired, you're fired. And and then Liberty DeVito found out he didn't even really get, he, he had songwriting credits, but he didn't have royalty credits. So, right. you know, he settled with Billy Joel after trying to sue him unsuccessfully for many years. And I'm not trying to paint Billy Joel in a bad light because somebody else made up that deal. I'm not a lawyer. Billy Joel's probably not, doesn't know anything about law. He had definitely got like robbed and cheated his whole early career. If you want to like read an interesting story about his career. And he was like broke the whole seventies, even when he had humongous hits on the radio, he saw none of the money. Uh, A lot of these seventies rock guys were swindled. There was a big banking scandal in the seventies and the bands were so broke. They were like not living in England. They would like, go. Oh, that's why Judas Priest made all those records in Spain. That's why yeah. Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd made records on a boat or in France. Cause they couldn't go home because they owned the yeah. tax man. Yep. Okay. So like Elton John too was broke at one point broke. Can you imagine he's like the richest musician ever now? And he was dead broke in like 1980. Mm-hmm. You can't even fathom Elton John had like 20 top 10 hits by 1980. <laughs> in less than 10 years, in like seven years. Yeah. And he and he was broke. So like, there's like, it, there's no, even if you make it, air quotes, make it. And I wanted to make it too. When I was 15, I was like, I'm either going to be writing about this stuff or I'm going to be making this music on a tour bus and tour yeah. the world. And it neither quite happened. I ended up becoming a music journalist. Great. And I didn't, I mean, you know, I had like 10, 15 good years in bands and it wasn't mm-hmm. going anywhere. And uh, occasionally I'll go do something in music, but not really. <laughs> right. It's not my thing anymore. Yeah. Um, so just, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, I want people to know where they can go to follow you. Obviously, gulp, ghostcultmag.com. That is right. Um, you also have, uh, again, social media presence in a lot of different places. Uh, I unfortunately sent out the wrong Twitter. <laughs> I have too many. It's fine. You you know, I'm, I'm out there on Twitter on a lot of names. Funny enough, my home Twitter that I basically just use for marketing, uh, there's a rapper called Hollywood Keithing. And about once a year, some of his people will DM me and try to buy my Twitter handle, which is at Keith. My, I have a handle that's at Keithing. That I, you don't have to follow me there for this, but like, it's a fun story. And I was like, yeah, if you want to buy my Twitter handle that I've had since 2008, you got to add some more zeros. If you <laughs> want to be at Keefe, you got to pay me, compensate yeah. me for it. So we'll see what happens. I don't think I'm ever going to sell it, but 
uh, at Ghost Cult Mag almost everywhere. Ghost Cult Magazine on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, at GhostCultMag.com. Uh, if you like what you see, uh, what I what I love more than anything else, following following is nice. Subscribing is nice, but drop us a comment. I love feedback. Just like when I played in bands, I used to play in bands and a bunch of dudes used to like do this with that face. And I would fucking antagonize them until they reacted. Like either hate me, love me, feel something. That's why I do what I do. That's why we all do what we do. The whole staff of Ghost Cult Worldwide. Things are coming back. Shows are coming back. We will go back to covering festivals and shows. In the meantime, interviews galore. I have a podcast. Um, relaunching the interview podcast again. Uh, just signed up on Anchor, which I'm trying to figure out now for all my regular interview podcasts. Everything's on YouTube. We've been going hard there. Lots of content. And I'm just grateful for anybody that even pays attention to us and enjoys what we do. We are definitely the alternative to everything else that's out there. That's how we positioned ourselves. Uh, thanks for listening to my long-winded stuff. I'm going to have you back on my podcast. We haven't talked in a long time. This has been a treat for me, but I'm going to have you come on my, my show soon and we're going to do a similar thing and uh, unpack your history for everybody and get them to follow you into your things. And I'm really appreciative that you continue. You have been the same dude this entire arc of the time that I know you. You've always been the same, had the same ideals, cared about the same things, upheld and uplifted the same bands and ideals. And I love that about you, dude. And I just feel fortunate to have you, to call you a peer and a brother in this business with a lot of snakes and cutthroats out there, I feel like <laughs> if there were more people like you, we would be a lot better off. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, like I said before, I, I feel that same respect and admiration for you. And, uh, you know, I've, again, I've had people tell me these last few weeks, you know, you got to get so-and-so, you got to bring this. And I said, look, I'm comfortable. Like I said before, I'm comfortable in my skin. I want to have good conversations with people. Uh, would I love to have James Hetfield on my show? Of course. Uh, but I think to me, it's just as meaningful and interesting talking to you or some of the other guests that I've had since I started, um, live streaming again. And, you know, (laughs) it's similar to what you said for me, it's all about just sharing the loves, getting people to know, you know, um, getting people to know other shows of people that are doing the same kind of stuff. You know, I have other podcasters in here that are following and that have been commenting. Brad Dahl runs a, uh, uh, an internet site called, uh, Yarg metal, uh, uh, rock and or Rob Rowe from the rock and roll show. We've had, uh, guys from, uh, the classic metal show that have been chiming in during the show as well. You know, um, I'm I'm all for you know spreading the brotherhood and and supporting one another. So um, I appreciate you coming on, and I'd be more than happy to to you know return the favor anytime that uh, that you want me to come on and and chat on your show. So absolutely, man, it's been an honest pleasure. And uh, shout out to everybody again in the chat and uh, follow me. I will follow you all back, especially those in the the league. The, the extraordinary league of gentlemen, reviewers, writers, scribes, editors, managers. Um, I'm not very competitive. Like I said, I'm trying to quell my own ego. Like, oh, that turned down for them. Oh, Blabbermouth ran someone else's interview and not mine. I'm really trying to like cut that negativity out and just do what I do in my own little bubble. And uh, I do support other people doing what we do because if we stop doing this, 
Like yeah. I said, who's going to talk about some of these bands? Nobody. Yeah. We don't. Nobody. Without a doubt. So I thank you, sir. Um, we will obviously be in touch and hopefully, you know, I'll return a favor and hopefully we'll have you back in the future. I would love to come back. Thanks so much, brother. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Peace. See you. All right, guys, that was, a uh, that was the longest live stream that I've done, uh, with, um, with all you guys, you know, I, I haven't been able to follow in the chat, like, um, uh, like Keefe mentioned, there's just too much going on. Um, I appreciate him coming on. I, I have a, a ton of respect for what he does, you know, um, trying to do my thing in web design, a lot of the social media stuff to me, I see a lot of the stuff that he does and it's really, um, really a learning experience for me. And really it's a lot of stuff that I want to try to do to leverage with, you know, the podcasting as well. So, um, uh, I appreciate that he's taken the time and really come on here and, and chatted and, and he, he has a wealth of information and it's just fun talking to other people that love the kind of music that, that we love. And again, being able to spread the love with uh, ghost cult is by far, it's my, my pleasure. So, um, uh, that is that guys. Again, I want to thank uh, all you guys for being in the chat, Brad, uh, Rob, uh, Jeremy, uh, Jose was in here before, uh, the metal dentist Gabriel was here. Um, someone from CMS was in here. I don't know if it was Chris or if it was, uh, maybe even Matt because he had mentioned something via Twitter, I believe, which was New York related, which I think it, it would, it would make me think it would be him with, with those comments. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, if I missed anyone, I apologize again. The chat was was flying by. Thanks for everyone that's watching this. Thanks for everyone that contributed and chatted. And um, thanks to anyone who was watching the replay of this up on YouTube or, oh, so it is Chris. Um, hail and kill, sir. Um, anyway, I, I do want to, uh, <laughs> I, I do want to say again, thanks to anyone that is watching this live or in a replay, um, whether that's YouTube or the podcast format. I appreciate it greatly. Uh, anyone, any of the faithful over on Patreon, um, I mentioned some of you guys already, Brad, Jeremy, um, Gabriel as well. Thank you guys for your support there as well. And uh, as usual, we will be back uh, next week, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. For those of you guys um, in the UK, it is 11 p.m. And for those that are in continental Europe, like myself, it is midnight. I have to say Friday going into Saturday because for some reason on this part of the world, if you say midnight on a Saturday, they don't understand that. But whatever. See you guys. Thank you once again. And we'll see you next time right here on the Signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 